We are Vintage City Church based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Welcome to our podcast. If you'd like to watch the live video of this teaching, head over to VintageCityChurch.com. We are so glad you are here, and let's get started with today's teaching. Good morning. Blynn and I just got back from sabbatical. What an incredible gift and privilege just to be able to push pause and um, had a great time. Had a, I actually felt like the Lord gave me quite a bit of stuff and I was going to talk about, but felt like before that we needed to push pause. Um, how many agree with me that Jesus healed people? Yeah, I feel like it's pretty good room for that. And he taught us that his disciples would be able to heal. Mark 24, it's a, probably one of the most quoted scriptures in vintage's history. We've really built this house around the idea and the truth that the scriptures just say very clearly, these signs will accompany or follow those that believe. And one of the things stated there is they lay hands on the sick and they recover. There's also a whole part about picking up snakes. I'm not sure what that's about, but uh, we're going to try to avoid that one. While I was, while I was out, we, we lost a member of this house. Some of you might know, some of you might not know Jason Benjamin and his story. For the last three years or so. I mean, Jason was, had received a diagnosis of cancer and we went through some ups and downs. One of the ups, I remember standing on the other side in the North Wing before we'd even finished this space and everything had gone into remission and we'd been praying and praying and praying and he shows me a piece of paper and it, all the markers are reversed. And I wept because I was like, yes. See, because my heart has been so committed since we, before we even started this church, to see this region broken open through the supernatural, to see healing released, to contend and believe for a geographic location where cancer can't dwell. And I know that's a ridiculously audacious idea. But we either believe these signs follow those that believe or we don't. And so we lost Jason, and if I'm being totally honest, it kind of wrecked me. Have you ever gone through something where the instant response is, then what's the point? Why do we do this? Why do we pray if it doesn't work? You're like, oh, yeah, that was my process. For Belinda and I, we lost Belinda's dad when uh, I was 22 and she was 21. He was 54, we lost him to prostate cancer. For us, it instantly turned, put us back in that moment. And just lots of doubt, and lots of fear and frustration. And if I'm honest, anger for me. I mean, I could just go through the list of things I felt and you're like, wow, you're really not healthy. I'm like, well, I was I like, look. 
I just, I went to the Lord. I'm like, I, I, I heard you say I want to heal him. I don't understand it. I feel like you hung me out to dry as a leader. And you, if you're going to have a real encounter with Jesus, you got to be willing to say all the hard stuff. And because well, here's my favorite thing about him. He's not afraid of it. And he's so kind. He's so gracious. He's not afraid of our honesty. He's not afraid of our tough stuff. And so the Lord took me on a bit of a journey through scripture, and I want to share some of that with us today. Because I think our goal in this time is to bring some answers to, hey, how do we move forward in the face of what feels like unanswered prayer? How do we move forward when the answer isn't what we wanted? How do we as a family process that so we don't lose our passion to believe for the impossible? We, we had the memorial here yesterday and Pastor Gary did a phenomenal job. By the way, do you all see why I adore this guy? It's rare to find people in the kingdom who have walked with Jesus for multiple decades and are as passionate about him now as they were then. And it's infectious. He's brought such a pastoral grace to this house that wasn't here before. It had leader grace, it didn't have pastor grace. And so I'm incredibly grateful. But yesterday I thought the memorial was just phenomenal at its just ability to create a safe place for process. And I wanted to, I asked him if he would share maybe some of the points for us. And then I want to share some stuff out of Second Samuel. Yeah. Um, I told the first gathering, I said, these Bibles are the same. This is what happens when you're old. This is large print. So, um, but then he couldn't read that because he doesn't have his glasses. So I'm going to buy you one of these, buddy. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'll just get my glasses up. Yeah. Um, I walked into a hospital room 16 months ago, 14 months ago, right after an oncologist had come and delivered the news that Jason's cancer had come back and it was not good. And I asked him at that time, I said, how do you want us to pray? How do you want us to stand with you? And that began my journey of several times a week making contact with him and the family, primarily him at the beginning. And so I was so vested in this as a pastor, but also became his friend. And I said in the gathering, the, the memorial yesterday, I said, you know, unless a, a seed falls to the ground and dies, it doesn't bring forth any fruit. This what we're going to talk about today is the fruit of that. Death's an enemy. It's going to be the last thing put under his feet. The grave's already taken care of. None of us understand death because we haven't died to live to tell about it. I mean, very simply, it's the unknown. But as I begin to process, because usually when somebody passes and I've been asked to do the memorial, I get an idea of where I'm going. I struggled with this because I didn't want him to go. 
so desperately didn't want him to go. I've been doing this for a long time, and I've met very few, if any, with the faith that he had to hold on, to believe God. And it's not that he was afraid of death. It's graduation for the believer. But Jason finished his race. And I believe he did that well. And I believe he heard from his Savior, well done, enter into your eternal reward. What an incredible statement. Jason told me many times in the last few months, he said, I've been working on myself. I have stuff that Jesus and I are working on. The family told me the same thing. And I don't believe it was just because of his mortality. He was facing it. It's because that was his character and his nature. You see, when somebody goes through something that's painful, it usually brings up the past that's been painful. And there was incredible betrayal in his life that I never heard of. The family had to tell me. Because he worked through that process. And so when he faced another incredibly difficult time, he wasn't living in what he wasn't healed from or even though it wasn't cancer, but he wasn't taken care of from the past. Church, there is healing for you no matter what you've gone through, especially betrayal. I'd rather have somebody stab me in the heart than betray me, especially people you love and pour your life into. And so I knew he was on the right path. And Jason would not be troubled by how he arrived to heaven. I always say my mom died of a nasty disease, but when she got there, she didn't care. The second thing I thought of is we need to be free to mourn, but we need to mourn in hope. Bill Johnson, who's pastor of Bethel, had a similar journey. His wife had cancer, was in remission, came back, and ended up taking her life. And this is a large church, world-renowned, that has seen bona fide, documented miracles. And yet the pastor who's prayed for people to have these bona fide miracles, his wife dies of cancer. And he mentions that if we don't have, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be, not maybe, shall be comforted. First Thessalonians 4 says, we do not grieve or mourn as those who don't have hope. The hope is the anticipated joy of good. So we need to mourn. We need to grieve. I love that Pastor Greg can be honest and say his initial reaction was anger. Mine was not anger. It was just incredible, incredible sadness and questioning. I want to see a miracle that takes place in this house where people cannot say it was any other thing but God. And that's what I believe for. I love the raw emotion of Jeremiah and Lamentations. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet, and in Lamentations 3, he is lamenting, he is mourning 
the loss of what happened, his entire nation was taken into captivity. And he says this, I remember my misery. I remember my homelessness and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. He says, I remember them. Anybody else remember things like that? Of course we do. He says, my soul, my mind, my will, and emotions certainly remembers them. It is bent over with that grief. But I love verse 21. Yet, yet, I call to mind, therefore I have hope. See, there's that yet in our life. And he says, the Lord's act of, acts of mercy do not end. Because of the Lord's great faithful love, we are not consumed, for his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We sang it, started out, the great hymn of Martin Luther, great is your faithfulness, O Lord my God. The Lord is my portion says my soul, therefore I wait in passionate hope, anticipation of joy, that the Lord is good to those who wait, to the person who seeks. And then the last thing, I know I'm preaching, I'm sorry. It's not someone didn't do something right, that we as pastors didn't stand in the right prayer or the right position towards God, or their sin in the camp, or the family did something wrong, or Jason did something wrong. It's strictly the sovereignty of God. And the Lord spoke something so clear to me this week. He said, Gary, everybody talks about the sovereignty of God until I move sovereignly. We can say we believe in the sovereignty of God. That means he's Lord. He gets to do what he wants. He doesn't have to ask my permission. And so when he acts that way, why are we shocked? Death is a mystery. It's unknown. Again, I refer to Bill Johnson. If you haven't seen, three days after his wife passed, and they were married close to 50 years, if not 50 years. Three, year, three days after his wife passed, he stood up on a Sunday and delivered a message that I've heard very few deliver. Go to YouTube and watch it. He says these quotes. There are things in life that can only be found by walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And I added this, thy rod and thy staff right after that says they do what? Comfort me. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's comfort available to us. There's aspects of the presence of God that will only be experienced in the dark night of the soul. He said, we want answers, but answers won't answer us. If God said in my sovereignty, I've wanted to do this or allowed this, does that answer anybody's question? No. He said, only the presence of God answers our question. And then he said to experience the peace that surpasses comprehension or understanding, we have to relinquish our understanding. And lastly, the most incredible thing 
through that whole teaching, and I will never forget it. And this has driven this home. Only in this life do we have the opportunity to praise God in our pain. What a statement. Because when we see him, we're going to be praising him forever. But there's no more pain, no more sorrow. So if you've gone through something, whether it's a death or incredible pain, to be able to worship God in the midst of that pain is a gift that we get to present. A gift. And we don't like it. And I know the Benjamin family doesn't like it right now. But it's a gift. My goal in all of this was to help us process correctly. Because I don't want this event to erode our understanding of who we've been called to be. A house that is to function in the miraculous. I'm still believing for this to be a cancer-free zone. I'm still believing for this to be a place of supernatural healing. I'm still believing for the more of the Lord to be found when we gather. So I sat with the Lord and just needed some answers. The Lord took me to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and I want to take us there. It said, after Nathan returned to his home, the Lord made Bathsheba's baby deathly ill. Now, if you don't know the backstory, David's the king of Israel at this time. David has an appropriate relationship with another man's wife. To cover it, has the man killed. She gets pregnant. Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, what you did was wrong, it's sin. And the Lord strikes the baby ill. So David begged God to spare the child. He went without food, and he lay, and he lay down all night on the bare ground. The leaders of the nation pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the baby died. And David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He was so broken up about the baby being sick, they said, what will he do to himself when we tell him the child is dead? But when David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the baby dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. And then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, changed his clothes, and went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. I saw something last gathering I'd never seen in that. They were afraid of what he would do to himself. And it, it's a really important thing for us to understand. If we don't process grief properly, it hurts us. There's some things I think we did really right. In this passage, David chose a posture of believing in the midst of difficulty. In the face of a child being sick, that difficulty, he prayed fervently. I watched us do that as a family. And I would say, as a leader of this house, I'm proud of the way we stood together. I'm proud that our prayers are always driven by two things. One, the, the circumstances we see. But secondly, the fact that he has told us to believe for healing, to pray. We pray and tackle the impossible because it's what he told us to do. Call those things which aren't as though they are. When you encounter sickness, ask the question, 
Well, if we're supposed to only allow on earth what's in heaven, then where do we stand on sickness? We stand against it and we pray for healing. That is our posture. And I've watched us as a family do it and I'm proud of it. In the face of difficulty, David was really honest about his emotions. And I, I just want this to be an understood reality. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to act like we love what's going on. We don't have to act like we're not afraid. But church, we can never let our fear keep us from praying because when we do that, we worship our fear. But the part that I really am interested in is what David did after the answer came. He chose a very intentional response to what seemed as an unanswered prayer. In the face of his petition not getting answered as he desired, David refused the torment of needing to understand. He said, what do you mean? He stood up, he washed himself, says he put on lotions, he changed his clothes. What he did was he accepted the lack of an answer as the answer. I love that quote. You can't get the peace that passes understanding until you give up your right to understand. We're not going to understand everything the Lord does. I'm positive David hated the answer he got. I don't believe there's anything inside of him that was like, okay, cool. It was his own child he was praying for. But the next thing David did is the one that I want to invite us into because I think it's the most important. He immediately put himself back into the environment of the supernatural. We cannot miss in this text. The first movement we see is he goes back to worship. He goes back to the tabernacle and worships the Lord. Why is that so important? Because worship is fueled by his worth. And when we worship, we're focusing on him instead of our difficulties. Worship elevates his character over my circumstance. And lastly, worship reminds reminds us of who he is. And when we worship, it releases new faith to believe again. Worship protects our hearts from the deception of doubting his nature. There's an incredibly dangerous thing that the enemy would love to release into this house, that we doubt the goodness of God, that we doubt the character of God. After our last gathering, one of the guys came up to me and said, you know, I thought of a verse while you were talking. I'm confident in this that in my lifetime I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And church, I want to remind us to be confident that we have been invited by our King to keep contending, to keep praying, to keep believing, to never give up on our pursuit. I think the thing that's most important in this process for me is that worship component. That for us to process through this as a house in a healthy way, we got to step into worship with a fresh abandon. 
sometimes in our culture, worship becomes like a time pocket. And we're like, yeah, you know, our church worships. And worship was never about a band. It was never about the right songs. Some songs I like better than others. Yeah, I give you that. We all have those. There's, you know, I have my own when they come on. I'm like, oh, man. Um, and I have, my, I have my others when they come on. I'm like, yeah, let's go. But worship's never about the circumstance. It's about the one we're worshiping. And there's something that you and I can do today to help put a line in the sand and go, you know what? We will never let go of our belief of who he is. And that's to just pour ourselves in, to elevate his name, to put his character above this whole situation. The second thing we can do is to have the courage to go after the miraculous again. If you're here and you're like, you know what? My faith has been wrecked. I'm having a hard time believing. I want you to stand. If you're here and you're like, I need a miracle. I'm facing something. I want you to stand. And we want to get around you and just get back on the bicycle and go, nope, here we go, Lord. We're doing this again. We're not going to let anything stop us from believing what you can do. So if that's you, stand up right now. All around this room, you need a miracle of any kind. I don't care if it's healing or finance. I don't care if your heart's broken, you're like, I need to be repaired. Come on. Church, would you just join, find, I want groups around these, groups of people around them. Find out what they need prayer for and let, I mean, you're going to figure out, raise your hand. Do that if you're standing. Raise your hand because otherwise we're going to lose track of who you are. Okay, great. We'll just keep this thing somewhat organized. And church, let's pray bold, audacious prayers that are full of faith and courage. Thank you for your time with us. If you enjoyed this teaching, we would love to invite you to join us at a live gathering. We are located at 1501 Academy Court in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about Vintage City Church, including our gathering times, previous teachings, and how to become a part of our family, visit us today at VintageCityChurch.com and be sure to connect with us on social media.